Tim, how are you? I'm good. Lovely to see you. Well, good to see you too. And uh, I'm sorry I haven't had uh, time to to check out your book that you sent. It's I've got a stack, uh, you know, and I'm trying to work my way through it. But I'm glad we at least have a chance to talk. I'd like to kind of trade some ideas and all of that. So. Perfect, perfect. Yes, I, I understand completely about the books. In fact, I get to the point where I'm always a little bit nervous about giving them because I just I know what my stack looks like from all the ones that I'm given, and so I know you, I know how big yours must be. Well, it's uh, it's all very exciting, but trying to stay on top of it and you know do all the writing and other things that we're doing, and uh, also keep going with the, all the books that come in because we get several every week. So it's uh, yeah, I, I understand completely. Time, though, I mean, what I see in it all is uh, some tremendous progress being made, uh, you know, and getting to some real answers that I think humans have been looking for for thousands of years. So I think we're actually it's all very satisfying work. But it's uh, well, let's go straight in on that then, Evan. What what do you think is the uh, progress that's being made? That's a nice op optimistic start to a conversation. Well, what I, I mean, the way I see all of this is um, uh, from the kind of perspective of, you know, a neurosurgeon, neuroscientist interested in the brain-mind connection. And we take so much for granted about this world around us that uh, in many ways has been, our understanding of that has been built up on false assumptions and especially about physicality, you know, about the physical universe being the only thing that exists. And of course, that was my kind of default um, position before my coma. And I, you know, I, I'd spent a lot of my earlier life wanting to believe a lot of the kind of religious things I'd been taught in a Methodist church growing up in North Carolina. But then in all those decades spent as an academic neurosurgeon, um, it was just very confusing to me how conscious awareness could survive the death of the brain and body. Uh, and then when I had my experience, what it showed me very clearly is the brain doesn't create consciousness at all. So get over that. Uh, there's much more to this universe than just the physical. And of course, you know, when you get deep down into quantum physics, they've been saying the same thing for 80 years. And just when you follow the progression, uh, I don't know how, how, uh, how, uh, aware you are of all of that, but if yeah. you follow that whole Sorry. line of experimentation and uh, interpretation, you realize that, in fact, quantum physics and, and modern science is right there at the forefront uh, of telling us, you know, this is a spiritual universe and we're spiritual beings. And if you try and pretend that uh, all of this is, you know, just some blind mechanistic uh, a kind of circus of uh, subatomic particles following the laws of physics and chemistry and that that determines all of emergent reality, you're missing something very big about what quantum physics is trying to tell us. And I think especially, I often talk about consilience, uh, you know, which is the, the notion that uh, very widely disparate lines of inquiry can lead to the same kind of conclusions. And for me, for example, that includes uh, coming at it as a, a neurosurgeon, neuroscientist, the hard problem of consciousness, you know, as David Chalmers pointed out in the mid-90s, is much more than just a hard problem. It's actually an impossible problem if you subscribe to the myth of physicalism. 
uh, and, and really the whole world opens up to much greater possibilities when we move beyond the restrictions of physicalism that in their strongest form um, deny any such thing as free will you know, and, and try and pretend that uh, this thing we call consciousness is just the epiphenomenon or illusion generated by subatomic uh, particles following laws of physics and chemistry in the brain. And that's where the whole thing just kind of falls apart. You realize, no, there's a much better way to look at it all. And of course, I don't know if you've read our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, but it uh, goes into a lot of detail about how a modern version of objective idealism, you know, or metaphysical, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I understand. Sorry, metaphysical or ontological idealism, but they're, they're all kind of the same package of showing us a mental universe. And, and in quantum physics, a so, mental universe is already a concept they're used to. I, I think uh, it, it's interesting, because I think I've been in, I've, in some ways, I've been on the opposite journey to you. Uh-huh. Um, so for me, um, physicalism always seemed ridiculous. Right. I had my first awakening when I was 12. I've been exploring spirituality and spiritual experiences in every damn way I possibly could for 45 something more years. Um, uh -huh. and, uh, so, and that's been like an in-depth study written all these 35 books, all of this stuff. The vast majority of which take that idealist, for want of a better word, consciousness-based um, approach, including with quantum physics and so on. Uh, but interestingly, right now, I'm writing a book really saying why I was wrong. And, uh, but not to head back to physicalism. Physicalism right. just that's was like, no, that's not it. But I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm no longer convinced that that idealist perspective is the actual solution we're looking for. I think it might be a different one. And I'd love to get into that with you. But before we do, I just too much of a good an opportunity. You've, because you've, um, you know, I love talking to people. You've had near-death experiences. I, I've, I've been around them, again, when I was a teenager. I think I was one of the first people to join the International Association of Near-Death Studies when it was very first set up wow, as a, as a kid, you know, because uh -huh. it just felt like, well, that's what I want to know. And I've worked with death a lot of my life. So I would, I'd, I'd really like to, to, to get your understanding where you've arrived at in terms of how you see that experience you had the visionary experience and this experience you're having now with me how you see them as related and what and 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 how and the difference for you between what most people are used to which is just subjective dreams and that sense of being something which is beyond a dream and yet seems to have similar qualities to it in lots of ways right um, well, uh, the first thing I would point out is that near-death near experiences, by and large, you know, not just from my own experience, but from reading and meeting thousands of people who have had them, um, the general descriptor is that that realm is much more vibrant, alive, uh, real sure. than this one. This one is more of the dreamlike realm. And that, that's a really crucial thing for people to get because ultimately, the way I would say the current scientific discussion is framed around this is people from a position of observing in this material world of ours and trying to understand consciousness within this material world um, 
they treat those alternate realms and descriptions as if they are some form of, you know, hallucination or psychedelic kind of experience or uh, something, but they don't treat it as on par with existence in this world. Sure. And I think that leads to a lot of trouble. And, and uh, the way out of that um, is to develop techniques of driving deep spiritual experience, transcendental consciousness uh, from here, you know, and, and that's what our work, uh, work I do with Karen Newell, with my life partner, um, who is the founder of Sacred Acoustics. And I, I don't know if you're uh, at all familiar with binaural beats and- I, I have a CD out with them, actually. Okay, well, good. Yeah. And, um, and, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Sacred Acoustics, but uh, bottom line is um, I've been using Sacred Acoustics tones for meditation daily for an hour, two or three a day for the last nine years. And I've used them to return to those realms and not just recover memories of my NDE, but to actually develop uh, profound relationships with all that I encountered in those realms. And um, it is doable through meditation, but you can't just drive it at will. I mean, this is how you set the stage you know, is intentional journeys into consciousness and deep meditation. And uh, especially when you look at kind of our view that we talk about in living in a mindful universe, uh, it, it flips and, and comes down with a, a model of metaphysical, you know, slash objective idealism. Um, that's, the bit I really want, just, that's the bit I want to get how you've understood it. it it's the, okay. I mean, I think for the purposes of our conversation, we could just take for granted look, that that's real. And, and for me, it's, you know, it's an emergent reality. I know it from different experiences over many long periods. The question I have that, I, that is interesting me from your unique perspective uh -huh. is how you, you, you have this amazing visionary experience. In what way do you feel it was... Um, the, the 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 beings, for want of a better word, that you encountered, in what way they seem to have their own identity rather than say, you know, I, I've had experiences of meeting my dead mum where it was like, there's my mum. And I've had right. experiences in a dream where I've met a famous person and it feels like, no, that's a projection of my own imagination. Right. And, and what that meant to you, that, that's one question. Let me start with that one. Let's go. Well, let's start with that. And what I would say, again, if, if, um, if you do read Living in a Mindful Universe, I tell the story in there of basically my, my father. He had passed over, my adoptive father, neurosurgeon, very influential in my life. He had passed over four years before my coma. And he was nowhere to be found in my near-death experience. You know, there was not a whisper of him. But again, the other thing to explain about my NDE is that it had an unusual feature in that I was amnesic. I had no memories. I had no words, no language, no knowledge of Earth, this universe, none of Eben Alexander's personal experience. Every bit of it was gone. And of course, in the, yeah. wow. in the early months after my coma, you know, as a neurosurgeon, and when I first came back uh, in, from my coma, my brain was really wrecked. Uh, in fact, in the first, uh, you know, hour or two of my coming to conscious awareness in the ICU bed, um, I didn't even recognize my mother, my sisters, my sons. Uh, I, I just had no idea who they were. So, and my brain and, you know, mental kind of aspects of my brain 
took about two months to fully recover. Uh, but initially, I was, you know, all my neuroscience knowledge was gone too. So all I, I could do is just buy what my doctors told me about things. And I knew my experience I had had. That was burned into my memory. And uh, so I, 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 I initially assumed that it made sense that I would be amnesic because I was just gleaning all the information from my doctors and medical records about the extensive damage to my neocortex. And what they knew was my neurologic exams, my CT and MRI scans, um, all showed you know, global disruption of my neocortex. All eight lobes were involved. There was full thickness involvement in that the, uh, the edema in the deep layers of the neocortex was, you couldn't even see the gray-white junction. So, I mean, it was a very extensive, uh, and destructive illness. Of course, the big mystery was how all those memories came back. Because in fact, there was evidence beyond that two month time point that they were more complete memories than they had been before coma. And that part was a real shocker. And, and we discuss all that too in Living in Mindful Universe because the evidence that memory is not stored in the brain is something neurosurgeons have kind of considered as a strong possibility for decades. The reason being, that out of the millions of brain resections we've done over the last century, there has never been a case of broad sways of long-term memories that disappeared with a certain surgical resection. So, you know, the assumption that memories are stored in the physical brain, especially in the neocortex, is one that is uh, denied by the evidence of neurosurgeons. And we've, we've mused about that for a long time, but the problem is that concept of memories not being stored in the brain is such a giant nail in the coffin of physicalism that we haven't really discussed it robustly as, as a group because it's so completely uh, uh, you know upending of the the old world view but it's something we discuss in detail in living in a mindful universe is the evidence that memory is not stored in the brain but um, you know it, it's uh, so, so, so let me let me return to the the the. the, the I mean, I, I, by the way, I find that fascinating, and 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 uh, and, and and it intersects with stuff that I'm writing myself at the moment around exactly exactly that. And I'd love to get into you. Well, my own. Well, maybe we'll just do that for a second. My own um, underlying thesis in the philosophy that I've been exploring is that uh, that we need to we need to understand the existence of the past. So. Um, what strikes me about this moment is uh, that it contains implicitly within it everything that's ever happened before. Right. And it wouldn't be this moment if it wasn't. And therefore the past hasn't gone anywhere. That actually right. we need to see time as an unfolding and an accumulation of information. So it seems very likely to me, once you have that view of the universe actually being a process made of time rather than a thing made of, of matter, you, you, then I would expect that memory is in some form, well, everything I suspect is relating to the past. Like people like um, Charles Person and Rupert Sheldrake have said, you know, that everything is, is a, an expression of what's happened before and that therefore right. memory is a way of connecting back in the moment. Yeah. And either the only directly thing I would, or I would add, add at this point in the discussion is remember that there are also aspects of the future that can come into the present very strongly uh, and that 
then become the future. And uh, this takes me back, this whole discussion takes me back a step to reconsider the point I was making a few minutes ago about the ultra reality of those realms. And I point out very specifically the life review. Uh, life reviews have been around in NDEs for thousands of years. But you didn't, you didn't have one of those, presumably. Well, I didn't, but what I did see was in the generic sense, given my amnesia for my life, yeah. I saw life reviews beautifully and I saw reincarnation beautifully, uh -huh. just not for Eben Alexander. Uh, so I saw the whole pattern and the way I saw reincarnation in life reviews uh, was really in two very powerful visual motifs that were deep in the midst of my coma. One was this vision of this interwoven tapestry of all these silvery and golden threads that were interwoven. And they were basically showing um, uh, the, the weave of, it's almost like breathing, being in this incarnation in the physical realm, and then we have that break between lives. Um, uh, you know, reuniting with higher soul, going through life reviews of uh, souls of departed loved ones, reshuffling, planning the next incarnation, then diving back in. So I saw it as both a tapestry uh, with all the richness of the life review and the in and out of the material realm and the progression. So it was not just looking at reincarnation as just, oh, well, someday you, you can get off the wheel of suffering. This was actually directed. It was going towards what I would call an omega point. It was going towards. Uh -huh kind of a Christ consciousness like Tillard de Chardin discussed in Phenomenon of Man. But I saw it in these two very brilliant ways. The tapestry was one, and the other was this absolutely lovely uh, kind of living of an experience of flying fish. And the flying fish would be down in the material realm, and we'd be living these lives dumbed down, not knowing what our higher souls knew, and then we'd pop back up out of the water, reunite, uh, you know, come up with uh, the, the next uh, incarnation and the lessons to be taught and learned and that, and then dive back in, being, again, the, the main memories all being removed. There's a, a process of programmed forgetting. Just like dreams are very important, we know that, uh, because if, if people can't sleep and dream for a few weeks, they basically die. It's a very, you know, like in familial uh, insomnia. It's a very deadly disease. And But likewise, I would point out that if you look at the um, reincarnation literature out of University of Virginia, Ian Stevenson, Jim Tucker's mm -hmm. work, 2,500 cases plus past life memories in children over the last six decades, suggestive of reincarnation, you, they'll tell you that if you don't harvest those memories by about age six, they get covered over. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are processes of program forgetting uh, that prevent us in this um, you know, material incarnation from necessarily having full access to all the information that we can glean between lives, you know, dreams, um, uh, reincarnation literature, etc. cetera. Uh, so it's just a, a much bigger theater of operations, but that's where I believe that the model we point out in Living in a Mindful Universe, which basically flips all this by looking at the brain as a filter, you know, that's an old model. Uh, William James, uh, Henri Bergson, F.C.S. Schiller, Aldous Huxley and others all talked about, you know, the f kind of filter theory. And um, so basically in our book, I, we just take that to the next level. What, why, why, you see, I have a problem with that. Um, right. And uh, did you see my, I sent you when we first made contact, I don't know if you had the chance to see it, it's very short, was my, uh, my TED talk. I haven't and, seen that yet. Okay, so, so might be worth taking a look, it's only 10 minutes. 
Um, but what I, it's a very short, condensed version of a, of a thesis because the, I, what I, the problem I ha that I have with the whole filter model, it's the kind of top-down model, which is what idealism has, is it, is it ultimately, it, it feels very negative about this. It's like, this is a filter, this is less, this is forgetting, this is someone we've fallen into. What is the relationship exactly between this realm and that realm? That realm seems more real, this realm seems less real. Except so I would make one point. Okay. And that point is that the, I, I would say the whole reason for existence of the universe is for the evolution of consciousness. Right. Uh, I agree with you. That, totally. And I would also say that um, just like that old saying, all politics is local, all evolution of consciousness is nothing more than individual souls coming to these uh, aha moments of discovery through learning and teaching in soul school, which is here. This is where all the work gets done. So Mm -hmm. As much as people worry, uh-oh, you know, this is all an illusion. This is the Maya. This is not as it appears. But never forget, this is the reason the whole universe exists. Because in those more real realms, that's not actually where we make progress. Okay, that so, so, so I, I get that. I mean, it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a story I've heard for decades and I've taught it myself at various um, points. Um, and, it, you know, it's a... It's a, it's a it's a good story. Um, he, let, me, let me throw you a possibility just to get your reaction. See, what, what strikes me, like I said earlier about the moment, when I look at the moment, which is basically what I do, what I see about it is two things. One is that everything that's ever happened is implicit within it. There's a right. flow of time happening, every, always. And each moment realizes a new possibility based on what happened before. And we have this amazing story, as you say, we've got this amazing story through science, <clears throat> which is a, an incredible story, I think, of, this, of the evolving universe for 14 billion years mm -hmm. coming. And, and so the, the, the way of understanding what's happened for you and for so many others that I'm playing with is, can we understand reality as the realization of ever more emergent possibilities? But that's what it is. And that rather than it coming down from somewhere it's rising up so that we does start with the most basic things basic matter and so forth and from that will come life and from that will come sentience consciousness in the of the body and from that will come images of sentience which is the psyche and the bit which I'm kind of playing with, which is obviously controversial, but seems interesting to me, is whether we can see that realm, the bardos, the imaginal realm, the soul dimension, which I spent my life exploring and which you've gone deeply into in, in death, as, a, as the most emergent level of this evolutionary process. So the role that this is playing is not filtering it, it's actually supporting it. It's a place which has allowed it to emerge, and that's why the images which are people it are actually images from here. They don't cut, they come from somewhere and they, right. and they themselves have come through the evolutionary process, which has led us up to something which actually transcends material a non-material realm having evolved from a material realm. And of course right. we're in it now. We're already in that where all our thoughts are happening in that realm right now. Right. Well, I believe in many ways we're, we're kind of in agreement on this. Uh -huh. um, uh, kind of the way, the way I see it. Um, I, I must say, I, 
um, I do believe that there's kind of a world of forms, as Plato uh, discussed, you know, a world of ideals. And it actually is a world of ideals of individual souls and their fitting into this whole process of, of growth and learning. Why do you believe um, that, Ivan? Sorry? Why do you believe that? Uh, basically, it's kind of what I witnessed during my journey, and it's something that I've seen over and over again in my meditation. Uh, that I, in fact, I would, I would go so far. It's, it, in some ways, I guess it, it echoes uh, Rupert Sheldrake's uh, morphogenetic fields, but it's that there is uh, kind of a world of ideals that, uh, that serves as a template, and, and that allows this uh, top-down um, so, propagation so, of what we see presented on the stage. So these, you're saying it in a platonic way, that these ideals, this is kind of a, a, a lesser echo of those ideals, rather than right. I think what Rupert's saying, in that instance, what he's saying, he's Platonist in other ways, but in that instance, I think what Rupert's saying is that, is that the morphic gen genetic fields are evolutionary. So they're right. forming. And right. that's, that's how more I would see it. That's a huge part of the way I would explain it. And, okay. um, and yet the interesting thing is, you know, so many people who, you know, working on this issue now, the mind-brain connection and all that, um, will point to the fact that you cannot reduce it all to materialism. That just really doesn't work. So yeah. yes, we all kind of default into a position kind of like Descartes and, you know, uh, a dualistic look at, uh, uh, you know, mind, you know, the spirit and the material aspects of a human being. Um, but I think that uh, in many ways, this, this evolutionary process is, and, and, the point I was going to make is they often then go to, well, we know there's more than just the material. Maybe we can explain that through panpsychism. You know, that there are some kind of elements of proto-consciousness that are there with all the subatomic particles. From my point of view, that's a complete cop-out. It's a materialist position that's just admitting that the data shows materialism is wrong, but it's trying to put band-aids all over the materialist model and force it to still work. And that's where I believe we have to go to pure idealism. That that well, let me, let me really give you a different version of panpsychism then. How about this? Okay. How about, it's not panpsychism, but it's, it shares something in common. How about, look, there's an evolutionary process which starts from the simplest and is moving into the more emergent. And the, that process, this flow of form, which is arising from formless potentiality, is individuating into individual time streams actually not things processes once and we can see that everywhere like so from hydrogen and helium onwards things have been individuating whether it's an atom or a molecule or whatever it is right as soon as you've got an individual you've got something in relationship to the whole so what you haven't got is consciousness or psyche remotely but what you do have is subject and object because it has a subjective electromagnetic relationship with the whole Mm -hmm. And that the evolutionary process will always be a relationship between subject and object the whole way up and that they will involve, they will evolve in tandem so that as we reach life, that subjective and objective nature becomes very, very rich. Eventually that subjectivity will become sensation, will become attention, which is consciousness, being able to pay attention to things. And then from that will come this other domain that you and I are in right now having this conversation of psyche which is non-material and, and actually, in my view, exists as an independent realm, which has arisen from the realm of biology. 
so that you've got this kind of movement. You haven't got a kind of crass, there's consciousness at the beginning, but not, sorry, you know, you've know, made molecules consciousness, but they're all subjects and that subjectivity will evolve. And then you avoid what seems to me one of the big problems with idealism, which is you're taking one of the most emergent things, consciousness, and we'd have to work out what we mean by that as well, and putting it at the beginning. And it feels like the God trick. It just feels like you just put the big thing at the beginning. Whereas actually it looks like consciousness is emergent. And like you said, we're growing in it. It's not like there, it's actually incre it's increasing and we're moving right. towards it as Tiad de Chardin says. Yeah, I, I think the way I would uh, adjust that view slightly to kind of uh, um, follow my line of thinking about it is I, I view uh, what, what we'll call just for a moment, uh, consciousness as self-awareness. Self-awareness, okay. Let's view that as a level of information integration in the universe that is primordial. In other words, that that uh, is a level, uh, and if we, if we are then to try and build in quantum physics, for example, um, I would point to the writings of George F.R. Ellis, the South African mathematician, who's written extensively on top-down causal influences in setting up the whole world of, of quantum physics. Uh, and from my point of view, and, and so, you know, various uh, people in physics have, have kind of laid this out in different ways uh, another example would be so Richard how is this Connelly. primordial sorry i need sorry. to say, i just i'm i'm losing it so you've got a primordial consciousness which is something aware of itself right and it's and information that, and it's and a that, that is the thing that's actually doing the evolving and that is uh i would like to look at each and every one of us as our kind of conscious experience um as being facets on the surface of a diamond so that we're we're all part of the one mind we mm -hmm. just have slightly different perspectives and it's those different perspectives that allow this bigger thing of consciousness to grow but the mistake from my point of view is trying to say that consciousness or self-awareness evolved in the biological kingdom as some kind of an adaptation or what have you i believe that the self-awareness is part of the universe itself and that that is something that we come much more in touch with when we leave the physical realm, like in, in the dream space and in the ease, uh, in deep meditation, psychedelic drug experiences in many ways can offer another kind of view into this. But that ultimately, uh, we're talking about accessing a realm of information, assimilation, and integration in the universe that pre-exists the Big Bang. And that that is what we call consciousness. So. Uh, it's kind of it's an interesting experience for me recently, Evan, because what you're saying could be from one of my books, and um, and and yet I'm here disagreeing with it, um, because the process I've been over the last few years has led me to think, no, this this is not this is doesn't quite work, and um, but I'm I'm incredibly familiar with what you're saying and and right. know it intimately and respect it, and 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 and, and fundamentally, I'm trying to articulate the same intuitions, right. But, I, but as a philosopher, it just feels like we need to articulate it differently for me. Right. So if I'm going to, you know, the problem for me is if I have a choice between going at the ground is consciousness. Now here, the words are used in a lot of different ways, but the way you're using it seems more like the kind of 
um, the Hindi idea of pure self-knowledge at the beginning, something, but it's also got information in it, it seems. Right. And it is, you know, it's doing the, the evolving. So it's kind of Brahman, dreaming the universe. Right. So again, it's like, that's a big thing to put at the beginning. How about this at the beginning? The, and this, like, this the, which is just to say, look, what can we say about where the universe has come from? And this is actually from Brian Swim, the cosmologist reading him years ago, and it stayed with me, is a, is a great insight was, well, one thing we can say for sure is that it, it came from the potentiality for the universe. Right. So what happens if we just say, look, what's there at the beginning is the potentiality for everything. It, let's call uh, the word I like now from Plato is being something which is, but has no qualities mm -hmm. apart from it can become everything. Right. So the fundamental nature of the universe isn't something which already knows itself and da da da. It's actually the fundamental ground of the universe, which is emerging from is something that could be anything. Right. And it is in the process of becoming everything. Correct. And what will emerge as that happens is ever more complexity and ever more emergent qualities, which will lead to self-knowledge. Right. And the, as, and the, the, the Omega point it's going to is the universe in self-knowledge, like God, it's, it's growing into that thing. It's not coming from that thing. It's, it's flowering as that thing, which we experience in higher realms. And the reason that they're higher realms is not because we've fallen from them, but because we're growing up into them and that they are coming. They are the latest thing, which is why they feel more real when you're, when you're launched right. into them. I just had a, as it happens, I had it just two weeks ago. I had the most extreme experience I've ever had of, 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 the love light of just no Tim, no thought, just utter, just God. Oh, and I, I, I hadn't had it like that before. No. Oh, but I've lost you for a second. Um, and so it's uh -oh. like, feels like that feels like the most emergent. That feels like that's where it's to me, that's where it's going. So I, you know, that's, that's the alternative, which I've ended up wanting to play with. So uh, yeah. What do you make of that? My friend. Well, I think uh, in many ways, uh, you know, I can accept all of that as kind of a work in progress towards, uh, <laughs> you know, a deeper understanding. Now, I think uh, we're, we're still just way too much in, in, in the dark about things, even as simple as time. Time is completely misunderstood by modern or just not understood by modern physics. Um, and, and the other point I'd like to make is getting back to something I said a few minutes ago about life reviews and the future and how the future in many ways has some parallels to the past. And the, the thing that's really big and magical is the now. But the now is always uh, kind of a, an assembly of, of, of past events and, and future possibilities. Uh, in many ways, though, acknowledging how much the future seems to be written in. Um, for example, I would say that uh, one of the other uh, beliefs I've come to harbor about all this is I believe that in many ways we, um, uh, you know, we die, reunite with a higher soul, members of the soul group, and then I believe we plan the next incarnation. We shift roles. Sometimes a parent becomes a child and vice versa, and all these kind of things can flip and flop. Uh, you know, our gender identity can can change between incarnations. All of that for the setting of the stage. Uh, for the next incarnation, but it's always done with a, a certain intention 
of certain challenges. And I would say that the way I see it now, and this comes from not only my experience, but conversations with many people who've had NDEs, shared death experiences, after death communications, deathbed visions, all the various kind of combinations of this, um, is, uh, is realizing that uh, the hardships, you know, illness, injury, things like that, are, are the stepping stones that we line up as kind of a sole contract in advance. So in other words, in certain ways, you can say that parts of our individual futures uh, are, you know, predetermined, quote unquote. But I would say where the free will comes into it is how in each incarnation we, uh, and, and as we progress through an incarnation, how we address those hardships. And are we able to strengthen various lessons that we're here to learn from the universe? For example, a sense of loving connection with purpose uh, of, of, of my role in the universe going forward. How do you get over the problems with that though, Eben? Because I mean, again, you know, this is a familiar idea to me um, and uh, a very, very common notion in spirituality, um, especially over the, the last period. Uh-huh few decades and, and i mean and, and that's interesting a lot of people hold it uh, i also think from experience that there is a sense of destiny to certain experiences one has we need to uh-huh. understand that i think synchronicities happen i think sometimes pre- precognition happens in certain ways all of these things are mysteries which as a philosopher i'm i'm concerned with a lot to find explanations for the problem i have with the view the traditional view that you're putting forward there is that it's like, you know, I've, I've, I remember being with Ram Dass years ago, who I love and respect immensely, um, and him talking about, you know, people having contracts to murder each other and all sorts, at the t- which at the time felt like, wow, that's amazing, which doesn't feel that amazing now. It feels like, really? Because, mm-hmm. because how, would, how would that possibly work, that, that you could have that freedom you know, it's, it's, it, there's something solipsistic about it. It works great if it's just me. You know, if, if my agenda is to go through these hardships and I need someone to treat me badly and I need this to happen and a car crash to occur and all that in order for me to go through it. But then all those other people are kind of like just pawns and doing terrible things sometimes. And yet they don't have the choice to go, no, I'm not, I, I, they're not learning. That It doesn't make sense to me. Well, anymore. I would say that we all, are responsible for our choices. I don't well, see I anybody as a pawn. And, and the other thing about the solipsism uh, and idealism is to point out quantum physics is very clear on showing us that, uh, there, that the, the reality we experience is absolutely dependent on uh, that observing consciousness. Oh, I completely uh, disagree with you there. I think that is not true. Not true. I, I, I hear it repeated all the time, and I don't think quantum physics is saying that. It seems to me that, I mean, be, not least because the, the collapse of the waveform happens through, obs, through not through conscious observation, but through, through uh, measurement, which doesn't need a conscious observer. So but it seems what, what much more... Would be, what would be your kind of preferred interpretation of the measurement paradox? Well, for me, it fits in very much with what I was saying about the whole universe being both subject and object that the universe is, uh, is experiencing, or that's probably too strong a word, but it's, it's receiving itself in every, or observing itself in every, every individuated form. So right. when, when a possibility hits an actuality, it 
collapses and until then it doesn't because you're actually looking at that when i said look the whole thing looks like it's the constant realization of possibilities mm -hmm. then you go down to the lowest level and you can see it happening and it does it and it what when does it realize well the minute it comes into contact with an actuality and that as soon as you do that it's going to start taking shape and form and then when you reach this level of course it's pretty solid which is why the observer contrary to what they say in the secret you know you can't just observe something and go oh elephant and an elephant doesn't appear because right. actually we've reached a level of emergence where based on that primal uh, realization of possibilities it's much more um solid and, and 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 continuous and then what surely marks out the experiences of the dream world and the after death world and the bardos or whatever the imaginal realms is that suddenly because it's a world of images because it isn't made of matter it's suddenly all freed up that suddenly it's plastic so you fishes can fly and people can turn into each other and forms can morph and and that you're you're in a the world we're in now sharing these ideas but that uh, doesn't i would just say that there's kind of a difference between what you can imagine and what is presented to you by the universe in those realms yes and that's what i wanted to understand that takes us right back to the beginning of the conversation because that's the key bit for me that i would love to get your insights on which is i want to say in the philosophy on exploring that there is a that the the psyche is not the subjective aspect of the body it's a whole realm both subjective and objective right and it sounds to me like you have directly experienced that in a very vivid way i have too but yeah. not in the way you have and i wanted to know what 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 how you understand that well i i think um you know for me that conscious awareness of uh, comes to its fullest fullest form uh, for example for me in, in in the core realm of my nde uh, which was that pure oneness with that creative force throughout all eternity, infinity, uh, and the, the connection was all one of uh, kind of the infinite healing power of love, of the oneness of, of, of being and of the uh, optimal evolution of the universe. Um, and um, I mean, I really I have, have kind of a strong sense of this uh, uh, of how that world of ideals works and, and especially uh, kind of engendered by uh, the life review and descriptions of life review and how when you go through those events, it's not some vague memory. You actually relive yeah. it in very profound form. But not only that, you don't do it from your own point of view. That's yeah. probably the most important feature of the life review is you experience it as the emotional awareness of those around you who were influenced by not only your actions, but even your thoughts. So it's a much richer kind of theater of operation that kind of looks backstage as these events are happening. But the life review, as it presents to people, uh, for example, in a near-death experience, is a very profound example of the reality of that world of ideals and how things, uh, it, it kind of reminds us that what we experienced, um, you know, going through our uh, life moment to moment in this material realm, um, in many ways does have uh, a lot of the, the actuality uh, kind of built into it moving forward in the future. And yet I would say that the free will is really how we interact with those challenges. Uh, and I know your, your uh, 
you know, having trouble with that, that it's something you considered <laughs> long ago is, is no, real, no. now you've dismissed. <laughs> yeah. I'm, essentially, um, I, I mean, I want to follow the same thing. I want to pull you back a bit. I want to pull you back because the bit, the bit I want to understand from, from what you're, from where you're saying, which would intrigue uh -huh. is that, um, so I understand the idea that you enter a state, you know, there's, there's a dream where I'm projecting something. There's the state you're describing where the universe presents you with something. What, what about where, you know, you and I meet in the Bardos? What, what control have we got over how we, you know, how it seems? Can we create things in your view? Can we, how does that, it, the interaction of independent beings within the imaginal realm work wow. it, or, and did you experience that and what did you make of it well in many ways i think i did and um i think it has to do uh with the fact that it, uh, again i my uh, kind of bigger default model of this is one mind that there really is one mind one consciousness and it's not human at all. We, we can fool ourselves into thinking, oh, that can't be ultimate because it's too similar to human kind of psyche. Um, but the consciousness and self-awareness I'm talking about is one that really goes way down in the evolutionary chain, certainly, and it has manifested in animals and plants uh, and in the world at large going back before that, the material world, uh, completely absent any kind of biological systems. Um, and so I really see that conscious awareness is something that is only parceled out into these apparent uh, different facets um, of understanding. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm really, um, I mean, the way I see it in terms of free will, I think I'm kind of getting not, into not, your not so, Sorry, I'm, I, I'm not really talking about free will, and I'm apologies right. if, if, if I I'm misled you. More about kind of the human experience of interacting with that world and how much of it is kind of from the universe versus how much of it would have anything to do with a soul selecting its pathway of living. Yeah, and just you know, for instance, you know, I'm I'm no matter what I do, uh, I'm going to look like this right now, but in my imagination, I can look like anything, right. and uh, and my room is going to stay like this. But if I imagine it, I can turn it into anything. So it intrigues me, and that's why we tend to see that as purely a subjective dream, and that's why it gets dismissed. Uh -huh. But if you and I can meet in that realm, if we can go into deeper states of the imaginal realms and actually connect, what are we, how are we connecting there? Because I'm not necessarily, I'm not this. There's no fixed thing. I'm a right. fluid thing. So is, can we, you know, when I, I had an experience six months after my mother died of meeting my mom and she definitely was morphing into all different shapes and sizes of who she'd been and, and, and beyond that. Mm -hmm. And that was intriguing to me. So I wanted to know for you how that landscape that you were in, was that for you, the big mind? Was that also you interacting with the big mind Did that help create it? Were the beings that you met projecting themselves as something? Were you projecting them as something? Do you know what I'm trying to explain here? Or explore? I do. I, I see it's, it's a beautiful question. And to me, and, and it gets back to that whole big issue of solipsism versus something more, if you're, you're talking about idealistic positions. Um, uh, and I think it's, it's a beautiful question that teases out or can potentially tease out 
much more of this notion of the, the one mind and how it parcels out. Now for me, kind of getting back to your question a few minutes ago, um, that one mind is something that I can experience here in this material realm in deep meditation. I can traverse the boundary and get into the realm of that one mind uh, just as I did in my NDE. The only thing I've not been able to duplicate uh, in my meditative experience uh, using sacred acoustics and, and that kind of approach is the absolute full-blown kind of ultra-reality of it all. The, the real kind of helicopter top-down view of, that includes tremendous sways of both time and space and uh, levels of causality, uh, potentialities mixed with actualities, that really big picture view um, that was so effortless in the NDE is something that is only a, you know, a very uh, kind of rare uh, situation that I approach in my meditations, but I, I would not claim that I've ever duplicated it uh, fully. Um, but uh, it, it's a fascinating question that to me gets back into focusing in on this as the one mind. And again, for, uh, for me as a neuroscientist, a lot of that thinking comes from uh, the scientific world of say all the evidence for non-local consciousness, like the evidence behind telepathy, especially telepathy in twins, but of course telepathy occurs in many other circumstances. Precognition, the fact that we can know the future and demonstrate that in a laboratory setting, uh, in some cases, uh, you know, before it happens. Um, uh, uh, psychokinesis, the ability to influence, you know, material objects using uh, mental power alone, which some people uh, can do quite effectively as studied in a scientific setting. So in other words, that um, uh, kind of view of non-local consciousness, all the evidence we have, and of course I would include in that all the evidence you have from near-death experiences, shared death experiences, after-death communications, uh, past life memories in children, indicative of reincarnation, all of that is showing a much bigger kind of role, this non-local consciousness showing how in a very real sense you can demonstrate the reality of that uh, in this realm. And, um, in, and, and in a scientific fashion, even though the scientific details are very elusive, as you know from studying the literature, it's uh, the universe is uh, holding some of these uh, kind of secrets close to its chest. Uh, but I believe that that is where we're headed and that uh, individually uh, we have the power to get into that. Now, the, the other point I'd like to make, though, um, is uh, in terms of those life reviews and, and time flow, this is where, to me, it gets just fascinating because, uh, and, and I believe getting back to what you were mentioning a few minutes ago, that what I experienced, uh, you know, if you read Proof of Heaven and there's that, all that extensive discussion of the gateway valley, that kind of earth-like uh, realm, uh, but that was not my ultimate lesson. And the ultimate lesson was really in the core. And I would ascend up through these portals uh, catalyzed by what I remembered as music or sound or vibration. Although, of course, in those realms, it's not being filtered through ears and you're not seeing through, through eyes. That's one of the reasons it's so difficult to come back from that kind of experience uh, and explain it, put it in earthly words, because uh, the kind of reality you experience with that full bore drinking from the fire hose of consciousness uh, <laughs> really doesn't fit into the language that we use to describe a trip to Disney World. Good and I think thing. that's one of the problems. And that's why Karen and I, in our work in, in living in a mindful universe, and also I would like to point out to you that we have a companion workbook 
that goes with a Living in Mindful Universe. It's a free online email course. So if you go to ebenalexander.com, there's a little banner that wiggles in your face, your 33-day journey into the heart of consciousness. And we've had more than 8,000 people around the world take that course to date. They all leave comments on the page and they were all helping each other and sharing experience. Uh, so I, I would encourage you to take a little look at that email course and some of those comments if you want to kind of see how this kind of thinking evolves. And because a lot of what we think about it uh, comes from these ongoing experiences in our workshops and with people who are participating in these kind of tools of deep uh, psychic exploration to come to a, a better understanding of it. But I think ultimately the reason that I, I carry this argument for idealism uh, beyond panpsychism and some of those other discussions is just what I've experienced in those alternate realms. It's, it's just way too much to deny. And that's why I feel like I, I, I don't drivers think, that- I don't it, think you have to, I don't think, I, I guess you know, my, my own intersection with that, my, my, as you can tell, my passion with that really is that I don't think idealism is, I don't think the choice is materialism or idealism. Right. I don't think the choice is, it's all an object. No, 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 it's all a subject. I understand. I think, I think there's other options, and I think there's other options that can include the spiritual experience uh -huh. and make sense of it in a better way than idealism does. I mean, that's, you know, this is a philosophical thing, and, and so I, I completely get all the arguments that you, that you put forward for it, and I think all those things need explaining. I'm not completely convinced that idealism does explain them. I think what right. it does is it doesn't rule them out. Right. Which, which materialism does. So materialism can't cope. So that, yeah. and idealism is attractive because it doesn't rule them out. It leaves them open. There could be a way that works. We don't know what. Whereas actually, I think what we need is a is a is a synthesis which a which helps us to start actually understanding how these processes might 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 occur. But that's right. a, that's a whole other long conversation. Yeah, I think I think you're right there that that's essentially what i feel i'm trying to do and right and um the the problem i have with all the various dualisms that try and combine you know a material universe that is going on by natural material physical laws uh combined with you know our spiritual aspects and the whole spiritual aspect of the universe uh and trying to blend those together um is I feel like so many of the problems that we've encountered uh, are because we try to do a Band-Aid fix on a version of materialism. Even though we reject materialism because we kind of agree, no, it doesn't really answer the, all those big questions that come up around non-local consciousness and reincarnation and all that. Uh, so we reject pure materialism, but then we try and put Band-Aids on it. And from my point of view, especially having uh, lived through multiple different layers. What, what, what sort of things do you mean by that when you say talking about putting what sort of what sort of positions are you thinking of as being band-aid to materialism of bringing well, the, the I, worlds together? Panpsychism is, is you know the one that is uh, most of a violation because basically it rejects so much more of the information that shows kind of a top-down uh, organizational principle that would be looked at as kind of a God force. That is one that has an interest in the personal soul going through an evolution. You know, uh, so in other words, a little different from Spinoza's God, from Einstein's God. Uh, but I think that that's what the story that near-death experiencers have been telling for thousands of years is a oneness with that top-down causal force. Um, that's what I experienced as 
especially in the core realm. And the more people could be, I meet... Could be, could be both, though, couldn't it, Ibn? It could be both. It could be that the universe is as it appears to be, that time, by its very nature, actually, is the continual accumulation of information, which right. has a tendency, therefore, towards ever greater complexity, ever greater subjectivity, consciousness, and ever greater objectivity, that it has come through all of these different realms, and that, as far as we can tell, the very latest thing that's emerged is the psyche. That's the... That's the that's Although, the what, I would, what I would caution you about that language is... Um, if we're really agreeing that there is some top-down organizational force that plays a role at the level of quantum physics along the lines of what uh, George F.R. Ellis and others talk I, about. I'm not, I'm not agreeing with that. I'm not agreeing with that. I don't think there's... I, I hear you. What and, I'm and, suggesting and, and, is that the, the top-down is that, is that the, the, uh, really the problem I don't think is materialism, actually, although I don't agree with materialism, the problem is reductionism. Right. The, the problem is the idea that the greater, more emergent levels of reality can be, un, can be reduced to the lower levels. Whereas I feel I would, I would call myself an emergentist, a spiritual emergentist, in that mm -hmm. it feels like, no, 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 the whole point is, if I'm made of chemical, my body is made of chemicals, but if the chemicals were sitting on this chair instead of me, the conversation I hope would not be as good. Something else has been added to right. chemicals. And There's a lot more than just the chemicals. Exactly. The chemicals, we'll exactly. I mean, the so, other way... So if you remove that reductionism right. and you actually go, no, what's happening is a bit like, you know, hey, I was once an egg and a sperm, but I'm not really that. I'm really this. Right. <laughs> and, but that's where I started as a body. So, and the universe the same. It's like it, could, it starts with hydrogen, but now look, it's become mind. And... And the, the, the downward thrust is happening. Look, I'm intending to make my body, I don't even know how it's doing it, but I'm intending, and then it's making these funny noises right. and passing information to you. That's all top-down, all top-down. So, so the brain then becomes not, 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 not so much a filter, but more like an interface. It's an interface it's between an, an, a non-material level, and it's passing both ways, isn't it? Because I'm hearing yeah. you, and that's going up, and that's coming down. And, and that therefore, there is the top-down. And if I would suggest that the, the thing, the, the one consciousness, the one know, knowing itself is what's emerging. And it is also top down, but it well, doesn't. That's, that's, I find all that very acceptable and aligned with a, a lot of how I would look at it. Um, I, I think a, maybe another concept to throw in here just to kind of help you see my perspective. Um, you know, it, it, this is really just a discussion of mind and matter and what is their, their intersection. Now, one thing that I've paid a lot of attention to over the last few years is placebo effect. Mm, uh, placebo effect is an, a, a, just a mind-bending example Absolutely. of how we live in a mental universe. Uh, and it's not just, you know, you give somebody a sugar pill and tell them it might make their headache go away. I mean, if you go to uh, noetic.org, to the Institute of Noetic Sciences website, and put in the search term spontaneous remission, you will get to a book that they published in the mid-90s that's now out of press, but they'll give you the whole book online there. But it's more than 3,500 cases of of uh, spontaneous healing of cancers, advanced cancers, infections, congenital deformities, uh, advanced degenerative diseases, things like that, that people basically reversed 
uh, through their beliefs that they could get better. So independently of any kind of Western medical intervention, uh, there are many stories where mind, you know, the, and power prayer, whatever you want to call it, these things end up driving a healing that has absolutely no explanation within Western medicine. Within so isn't, isn't, isn't the issue this then, Eben, or did, this is where I end up, this is where my book Soul Story starts, if you, if you look at it, uh -huh. is an attempt to understand the paradox I find myself in, which is, on the one hand, that's true, and on the other hand, it's often not true. And there are, you know, tons of beautiful, amazing people who've not had that happen. And I have had moments in my life of utter magic where the synchronicities, it's felt like I'm in a dream and not just once or twice, but over and over and sometimes for long periods. And then there's been other times when it's felt very causal. And I'm going to suggest that when I drop this pen, it will fall. Oh, and I was right. And I think it's going to happen again. So that, how can I live in a universe, which is this paradoxical, that on the one hand, it's it has a causality and a brutality to it and a, and a predictability to it. And on the other hand, it can be utterly magic, full of love, luminous, uh, and miracles can happen. And it feels to me that the way that we can, the, the route to understanding that is to see it's not one or the other. Right. It's not the mind. It's all mind because then that should happen all the time. And if it doesn't, it's fucked. But neither is it all matter. But actually, it's, it, the universe has become a mental universe. That right. something which is about narrative and story and dreams, it has come out of something which is much more rigid. Right. And that's true, you know, with my, my own birth that happened. Something which was biological and chemical came out. And then the next thing I know, there was thoughts and dreams and adventures and stories and Tim. And that the whole universe is like that. But even right. though I'm in this, I am right now experiencing this amazing realm of meaning my body still needs to eat and to be washed and to, it's and it goes wrong and i can't control everything right and that the universe is a bit like that too and it's well, it the, the, do you understand what i'm trying to play with i do and the way i look at this is i i often say in my talks it's like a tango it's like a beautiful dance between kind of that one mind and kind of the evolving consciousness uh, and the, all the kind of uh, warts and imperfections of these material beings that are souls living in that very pure world of ideals. And yet the school that is involved in the learning and teaching of these lessons, which is the actual evolution of consciousness itself, is this very imperfect world we find ourselves in. And the interesting thing, as you point out, is I think they're very deep and subtle nuances of lesson that we are to learn that have to do with that fine uh, distinction that you're kind of talking about uh, of our abilities to influence the world and yet the other aspects of the world that seem to be kind of on, on autopilot and just going by their own machinations. But what I would uh, try and point out there is, is I'd be uh, cautious about assuming that this thing we call psyche, uh, and especially self-awareness uh, is something that emerged, especially emerged from any kind of material universe. I think that's where people get into big trouble. From my point of view, it's much better to see that conscious awareness 
as a, a layer of integration and assimilation in the universe that has always existed and, and in fact pre-exists. So the, we're talking like two, what, this often happens in the thing of this conversation. There's two, I mean, the word consciousness is used in lots of ways, of course, but there's two ways it's used. And I think you've used it in both ways there. No, I don't mean you've contradicted yourself. I don't mean to be, uh -huh. I'm not, you know, I, I just mean um, in the, in the, in the, the conversation. Sometimes consciousness is used to refer to, especially in spirituality, kind of pure consciousness, the ground, the, the, the self-awareness. Other times it's used to actually refer to the contents of consciousness, the right. psyche or the sensations even, and, right. and that sort of stuff. So there's two different questions there. One right. is about what consciousness is mm -hmm. and whether it's the ground. And the other is where does this world of images come from that we are conscious of? Yeah. Like just as I'm conscious of this world of physical forms that the, so, I, so it seems, okay. So look, I think I can, I can say from the point of view I'm trying to explore the reason that we're learning this is because it, we're moving, it's evolving and it's moved from primitive states to more advanced states. So that the movement towards meaning and beauty and love is something which is emerging from it and that therefore we're growing into it. And that's what the universe actually is. Now, I feel like that can account for all of these different things. How do you account for it? Why is this great mind, which is already there, putting us poor bastards through this horrible experience of death and loss and suffering and, and starvation and war and plague and, and the Middle Ages and toothache and all of that awful, and a whole planet of things that eat each other and, and little bugs that go into kids' brains and they eat them from the inside well, out. Why, is it, why would it do that? What's, well, what I, lesson I, I, is there for a six-month-year-old baby that's being eaten from the inside by a, by a, a parasite? Well, I can't, you know, I don't have answers to all those questions. I, and I certainly realize there's a lot of apparent kind of darkness and badness uh, in this universe. Uh, but but I, I still believe that um, we can explain it as a process of growth. And, and, and I would say that the thing that is experiencing it, uh, that, that one mind, um, in many ways, I, I love Elie Wiesel's, uh, uh, you know, when he was challenged with wild, this horrible hardship and, and, you know, what is this relationship of man and God? He, he just simply said, God loves story. Uh, and so in, in essence, he was kind of pointing out that that uh, kind of ultimate intelligence. Um, is, is that a good answer, Evan? I mean, I, th I, I find it's a funny answer. It is a funny answer. And, and, I, and I think God does love stories because I think the universe has become a story. But as an, ex you know, really, can you look in the eyes of a mother whose child has just died from cancer and go, well, God loves stories. It's no, like, no, I can't either. Be my answer to that woman. But. But the, the other thing it doesn't feel like a, an adequate answer at all to me. Oh, no, it's not. But but I think the other uh, uh, thing to point out here is that reincarnation, that was another aspect of reincarnation that was so apparent to me in my journey was seeing especially the suffering of innocence, like children and animals. Uh, how could an infinitely loving God allow that to happen if that was their only little soul blip, you know, was living in that one incarnation? And, and to me, that was just part of the bigger picture of the schools of flying fish and the beautiful tapestry to show me about how the one mind is all about, you know, multiple,
multiple incarnations in this process of, of, of growth. So I um, think what we're saying is incredibly close, and I would love to be able to just... Convergence. I would love to say, be able to state what the difference is, because there's a key difference, and it's the difference that I've been working Can on. Can I make one other point that might help? Yeah, yeah, please do, please. And, and this is something that Karen and I uh, do routinely in our workshops, is we help people to quickly get to a point uh, kind of in, in their prepping for meditations and things like that, to realize that the voice in the head, the little uh, you know, stream of thoughts, voice of the ego, the little linguistic brain, it's sitting right here in Wernicke's area in my temp non-dominant temp uh, dominant temporal lobe. Um, you know, that constructs this whole narrative of who we are and all, but that is not your consciousness. You can set that aside in meditation. And that's what we, at a very first step in our meditative programs we teach people to do, is learn they are not identical with that stream of thoughts and that little ego story and their personal narrative going all the way back. Their consciousness is the awareness of that voice. Mm -hmm. And so the thing we teach them to do at a very early stage is to acknowledge the little voice in the head. Mm -hmm. That's our story. That's our, uh, you know, who Eben Alexander is, is those little thoughts mm -hmm. and those memories and my life story from birth to now and all my experience that is not the deep mystery. That is a parlor trick that this much brain is involved in taking command of. That's why we call this the a bit more than industry. a parlor trick, Evan. I mean, it's well, 14 it, it billion is, years to get to the point where we can think. You can't dismiss well, that as a parlor well, trick. Well, I agree with you. Not, no, no, no. The, but the, the it's, voice not, in your it's head. not the witness, but it's not nothing, is it? It, it's how we communicate, but in many ways, I would say that rational, logical voice gets in the way of some of our deepest knowing. That's why the meditation and going within is so important, especially as you acknowledge that that little linguistic system of organization is something that mainly serves to falsely separate you from the universe. That's what the whole problem with reductive materialist science is the little voice in the head has been always telling us that this thing is separate from the universe. Whereas if you read Jill Bolte-Taylor's My Stroke of Insight or watch her TED Talk, you'll see a perfect example of how much our linguistic brain and specifically Wernicke's area is there putting together all these notions of objects and interrelationships and interactivities and pretending uh, that you know, that's a model of reality. And what she saw with that linguistic part of her brain was destroyed, was her boundaries of self expanded outward. She became one with the chair, the desk, the tree outside the window, the clouds in the sky, with this overwhelming sense of pure love and unification of every bit of it. And I would argue that that is a trick of the linguistic brain. Um, that so I would suggest it's just where you put your attention. If, you put, if I put my attention onto my deep being, it's deep being. And, uh -huh. and I, you know, you can go so deeply into that, there's nothing else there. But there that is something true. else. And then you can bring I your attention I back and there's, ling there's thinking. And thinking's right. fine. And thinking can be, well, it's ambiguous. Thinking can be rubbish. Thinking can be something you're stuck in. Thinking can be anxious. Thinking can be like this. Thinking can be insightful. It can be beautiful. It can be creative. It could be poetry. That, 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 that it's a facility of our humanity and it's right. a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean you know, a bit like the, is, the body but, can be a pain. We also it's, tend to give it a little too much um, credence as the ultimate arbiter of who we are and our narrative. And that's where I feel that meditation, especially 
that initially goes in and takes that little voice, the impish, uh, uh, annoying roommate, it's the way Michael Singer calls that little voice in the head, and puts it into timeout. And that's where I believe we can allow, um, you know, for a much richer kind of interaction with that primordial mind. Uh, and I realize that in so many ways, uh, you know, people can just say, well, this is all just, uh, you know, a, a trick of linguistic definitions of, of borders and parcellations within the realm of consciousness. And in many ways, I could say, yeah, I, I see that. But I believe that if you start hitting on the right organization there uh, and, and have continued and ongoing experiences I've tried to cultivate with my uh, daily meditations, that you start to realize much more of uh, a connection with the universe where your consciousness is not limited to you know something that exists sure in, sure in, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So anyway i'm definitely. just definitely definitions of self-awareness so, and so 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 the thing the thing that we were we were we were on, on we, i'm not sure how quite how we got into the linguistic thing but i mean i, I hear what you're saying and i can put and you know it's like you know that you're def, I mean, I, you're definitely right in terms of, look, you know, if your attention is caught up in, in just thinking, you won't hear the silence and you won't be able to experience the, the, the deeper aspects of the soul. There's a lot more than silence that oh. comes from the universe in that setting. So it, it, absolutely. Right it's, silence, it's, it's infinite. Yeah, but there's more uh, yeah. information that we can glean in those realms. Definitely. Definitely. So, so the thing that I wanted to just try and grab um, to kind of complete our little our journey, which is, uh, I've really I'm very grateful to you for 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 coming on and having the conversation. My pleasure, and I appreciate your uh, all your thoughts. Very helpful. Um, is for me the the I think the problem one of the biggest uh, almost like an emotional problem with the idea of the fall from big mind or the or the 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 um, the idealist perspective, which I had myself is there's something for me to utterly redemptive about the evolutionary idea um because if god is all-powerful and he does let babies brains be eaten from the inside even if it is only for one lifetime you know i don't like him but if this whole universe is arising from the more primitive to the more transcendental and that God is the end of that process, not the beginning. And that just as Tim is not in control of everything, but is the end process of this evolution of this particular, this particular person, that God is of the universe, then, then, he's, then there's not a being in control of this. There's a love attracting us to it. And the baby is being eaten from the inside because that's biology and it sucks. And we need to use our wisdom and our compassion to try and stop it. It'll be okay, though, because as you say, that child will reincarnate and the soul is immortal because, we, it, because immortality has evolved. Mm -hmm. What's come from life and death is something which doesn't experience life and death. And there's something so beautifully redemptive about that. And that right. the realms that you went so deeply into have emerged, and you can almost see them. If you study the literature, which I'm sure you've done, um, for people's experiences of death, what they think about death, you can just kind of see it evolving. This imaginal world that starts as shades and it's not really there or not there, like the Greeks and the, the, before them. And then you get these beginnings of like a projection of, of life, but better, the happy hunting grounds and all of that sort of stuff and the, the drinking halls of Valhalla. 
And then you start getting the religions emerge and then it's people with saints and, and the, and it feels like, Oh, now the collective soul, the, the, the communion of psyches is producing this because that's what we've got. And it's to do with different cultures. And then now where it's like everything, cities and rainbows and anything you want, because it's just a huge domain, which has emerged based on what we experience here, but into its own reality. And there's something redemptive about that growing up, which really appeals to me, which the top-down thing feels like it's negative. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe I'm not being clear about how that top-down operates. Okay. Um, because for me, uh, the top-down is much more of kind of a guiding uh, wave that has to do with that primordial mind and kind of the, the, the sum experience of evolution of consciousness at, at any time is, is kind of a measure um, of that. And, and so for me, the, the top-down causality... What do you mean by the evolution the, of consciousness, even? Just, just, just before you do, what do you mean by that? Because I'm just wor worried I might not be understanding you. The evolution well, I, of consciousness. I think it is evolving towards um, something that we can only see the horizon. But, 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 but just go, going back, you've got the ground of consciousness, which you're starting right. with, yes? And then it starts evolving. So what's the first thing it does in your narrative? What does, what does the evolution of consciousness look like at the beginning? How it starts? Yeah, what, what is it, what's the, what's, does, is, the is, 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 is that involved in, you know, the formation of hydrogen, the formation of consciousness? Is that there? Is that? Well, I would, yeah, I would, well, okay. I would, but I would say con the important thing is consciousness preceded that. Yeah, and so how is it evolving? That so, you know, so, creation of hydrogen, the Big Bang, all those things, uh, and, it, and 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 why is why is hydrogen consciousness evolving? I'm not saying it is conscious. What what? So, so why is consciousness evolving then? It's it's a knowledge, basically a knowledge of self. It's kind of like an experiment that was started by this one mind. Um, that, so. So how in the evolutionary process is it consciousness which is evolving for you? I would say it's, it's uh, in many ways, it's kind of an understanding of oneness with the universe, understanding of relationship. We're in this perpetual process. I get that for now, but I want you to go back. I want you to go back to a pre-human time or, you know, let's talk about the formation of the galaxies. What, 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 what does that mean to say that that's the evolution of consciousness? I, th I would say you cannot uh, really look at it going backwards because it's all okay. forward directed. And from our point of view, um, it is really about, um, uh, I would say that the evolutionary step that is, uh, you know, a responsibility of uh, individual homo sapiens that are incarnated in, in this epoch uh, has to do with understanding that oneness and connectedness that, you know, to hurt another is to hurt self. And, uh, but ultimately, we have no clue where it is all headed. I would say, for example, you know, as much as people might think the human brain and mind uh, potentially can envision and imagine everything in the universe, I would say, well, wait a minute, let's, let's look at, for example, the family dog. The family dog has certain capabilities of understanding, and you can work really hard with that dog to teach them more and more about how the universe works, but there are going to be limits to just how far that dog's understanding can go. And the reality is the human brain, as a projector 
of this universal mind also has limits that do not include ultimate uh, reality. We, we just can't even envision uh, you know, where all this is headed. We can only really see it as we come back into this. I, I, I believe that in meditation, in deep uh, uh, epiphanies of, of, of contact with the spiritual realm, we can have tremendous insights that help us along those lines. But I think ultimately, when we come back and are in these physical bodies and brains with the limitations that a brain does by filtering consciousness, we just can't really go any further than a certain asymptotic point that is nowhere close to the ultimate goal of this evolution of consciousness. That would be my, my point there. There's a lot we can see about it and kind of envision about of potential teleological kind of drivers. Uh, but in essence, we just have to get used to the fact that human brain and mind will never be able to express in this material form the ultimate uh, uh, goal of all of evolution of consciousness. Just as much as the family dog can be taught a lot, but ultimately will not understand something like double special relativity. Well, I couldn't agree with you more about that. Um, and, and for me, um, in my own, just as a human being, alone as someone who attempts to understand things and share, and share awakened states with people, it ends, well, I think it was Whitehead who said, you know, philosophy starts with wonder and ends in wonder. And, and no. that's, and that's, that, 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 that to me that. makes perfect sense. Me and too. I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah, and yeah. it also, I'm very at home with understanding that there is much that I can glean in meditation and I can experience there. Sure. That I can never really come back and share adequately with others, except by sharing the technique and sure. allowing them to go in and come to their own understanding. And that's really kind of the uh, goal of, the work that Karen and I do in our workshops and Good sacred acoustics and Good for you. universe is to try and share that perspective. So I think the place where we're most um, in alignment is the most important one, which is when you said, look, I think we're, you know, I forget exactly what you said, but we're, we're moving towards right. uh, waking up to this fundamental oneness. Right. And, and the thrust of my, my whole work is about, I call it a movement from individuals to individuals individuals right. who are conscious of unity and right. everything that's, that's a beautiful way to put it i love that uh and, and i believe that this is actually you know as much as we're having this kind of pie in the sky discussion of philo philosophical points it is crucial for this world to wake up to this now yes the false sense of separation that comes out of, of reductive materialism in the scientific world has caused tremendous damage in the in this world i mean that's why the chemists you know with the divorce the of science and technology from our spiritual nature in the 18th, 19th and 20th century, uh, you know, the chemists could make poison gases, machine guns, high explosives for World War I, and then the physicists, uh, nuclear weapons for World War II. I mean, this divorce between science and spirituality has been very damaging. And, it, and quantum physics is actually the engine that drives us back towards a unification of our understanding of oneness with the universe. And, and that's where I think that this kind of discussion is much more important than just the pie in the sky. You know, what are the philosophers of the world gonna come to agreement on about all of this information? 
I think it's crucial. I think our very survival uh, as human species is absolutely dependent on an awakening to this kind of knowing of the oneness through, uh, you know, consciousness and through our discussions of the mind-brain connection. So for me, it's a, a crucial thing to do day to day to get this out to the world. Uh, because the world must change. Our false sense of separation out of materialist science is deadly, and it wrecks us in that spiritual realm. So this is about kind of bringing it together, growing together. When I say wrecks us, I should point out that obviously I realize that's not true, that all of this is part of a plan for growth and understanding. But it becomes frustrating when you're on this side of the veil and realizing you know, how some of this can help save this world, and yet most of the world still seems oblivious to it. Yeah, that's, uh, that is, I can absolutely hear you there, Evan. And, um, and like you, I think when you touch these deeper places, you become a servant of love, and that becomes what it's about. And yeah. my major job, actually, like yours, it sounds like increasingly is about experience. You know, I, I run events and work with people I have done for a very, very long time. Um, really about can you have that experience of profound oneness and the enormous love that comes from it. And yeah. then my other hat is a thinker is like, well, how the hell can we understand this? And like you, and I think this is why it's been such an animated and lo lovely conversation it is, is, it's like, ah, okay. So I think what we know, I think what, what I sense that both of us know, is that we need to bring this human knowledge together and we've got a dominant and in my lifetime in our lifetimes we've seen that reductionist paradigm become stronger and stronger and stronger until so many people think they're living in a meaningless universe they right. hit a few minutes and they're gone and the fact is that's not true right Right. And that's somehow it, we need, and what we need and why I passionately have disagreed with you at places and tried to work it out and why I, do, I spend most of my time disagreeing with myself is because it feels like we need a new vision of what reality is, which is so robust yeah. that it can offer a new alternative. Right. And my own journey is like, I don't think the old spiritual story is going to do it, but no, I it's, think it's got huge important things in it. And somehow like, we need a new one. It's had 5,000 years to kind of get the human, you know, humanity on the right track. And at times it's kind of nudged us correctly, but uh, it really hasn't worked in the big picture. And that's where I think this awakening is so important. And again, what I see is the real difference here is that now the science is what will drive it. The science of non-local consciousness, the science of the brain-mind connection and the understanding of fundamental nature of reality, of uh, enlightened from a viewpoint of, of quantum physics, much more fully understood than quantum physics has been to date, uh, you know, because the founding fathers of quantum physics were very clear on the primacy of consciousness. It was obvious to them from the experiments. And given John Bell's influence on the Einstein, Podolsky, Rosen paper of 35, all the experiments done since 71 have increasingly put us into a position of realizing that idealism is uh, in many ways uh, the best model, or it's certainly something that, that implies consciousness is fundamental in driving uh, everything that we see emerging in this universe. Well, on that beautiful, right. I think on, on that note, we should sort of tie our notes because, you know, I, I, mean, it's, I mean, I have three or four books of mine behind me which quote all the quantum physicists to go, look, they're all idealists. And now, and, and now yeah. it feels 
like well of course they are because they were studying indian philosophy one and, question are you familiar with bernardo castro yes i am yes okay yeah uh, because i think his book the idea of the world goes a long way towards helping to yeah. uh, illuminate a pathway forward so i think the book i'm reading writing is probably to say why i think he's wrong and why we why there's a better way of uniting spirituality and science than what I see as a retreat into idealism. Okay. Uh, and, 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 and so I want to achieve the same thing. I'm just not at all convinced that this, it, it's ironic for me because I've spent so many years trying to create that uh, vision and it's actually taking off now at the point where I'm going, oh, I think I was wrong. <laughs> um, and and I find myself moving on to this um, spiritual emergentism, this, this view that, that actually we need to understand it through an evolution, a, a realization of potentiality rather than it coming right. from a consciousness which is already there. Well, very interesting conversation. I will now dig your book out. For <laughs> and please do, and let me know what you think. That would be and wonderful. I'd also be interested in the one that you're working on. So if sure. I can help okay. at all with uh, thank you. reviewing that. Oh, um, thank you. That would be, you know, I would love that. Uh, what have you, please do keep me in the loop because I, I think you're right. I think we're, uh, in many ways, we're in agreement. And, it, and so some of this is kind of linguistic and semantic, but uh, some of it is kind of deep, deeply involved with, with the fundamental uh, kind of principles and observations of the universe. And, and uh, I, I love that. So I appreciate your initiating this call. And it's been very uh, open, opening of my mind to have this discussion and helps me realize some of the uh, kind of shortcomings of things that I uh, believe and try and try to teach and there are ways that I can fine-tune that and improve on it uh, and and I'm fascinated by your work and therefore if I can help with uh, the, the book that you're working on please let me know that's amazingly generous of you um, thank you so much and um, I will definitely definitely be back in touch with you um, and as things develop in the beginning of next year and, 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 and it's just for me to say thank you for the, your generosity of spirit and for giving your time to, to talk to me and to, to, for entering in, as I kind of hoped and knew you would, into yeah. being able to. Well, I mean, this stuff, this, Karen and I live and breathe this stuff. So yeah, I can I, see. I love talking with uh, others who are very far along this pathway, as you obviously are. So. And, and wonderful, you know, that you're doing the work you're doing and having the amount of, of influence in the world that you've, you've had with your, your book and your work. And that, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like somebody who's been in one thing and then had a powerful um, movement. It really has a big effect on people. Is, people notice. This is how consciousness evolves, is this very process we're talking about. That's so exactly right. We're, we're part of it, which is great. We are. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you so much, Evan. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All righty. Keep me posted. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.